How y'all doing today? Freedom Church, man, this is awesome. Y'all feel free. Woo! It's good to be here from Marietta, South Carolina. Now I hear your pastor, he said something about being down at the beach. I just came from the beach last night. Arrived in Marietta about 1.30 this morning. Now you say, well, why did you leave so early? Or well, so late, excuse me. I said, well, here's the deal. I moved to Myrtle Beach, and I got into this community where we lived door to door, back to back. I mean, it was just like, huh, you didn't want to go home. I just ride around the road, around the block a few times, let the breeze blow in. It's just, I am not a, a, a boxed up kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? I like the wild. My favorite TV program is what? Swole people. Come on, baby. You know. Gator, baby. I can loving it. So anyway, shoot them, Clint. Shoot them. My son, Matthew. Oh, let me tell you this now. I, I intended to be up here with my favorite cowboy boots and my blue jeans. But being the old Marietta boy that I am, I packed up my backpack and got my computer. I had to remember to get my computer. I run out to the car, load everything in, because my wife and I were out back with the kids doing some stuff, and I load up and I leave my blue jeans and my shirt hanging in the closet. And it dawned on me about 10.30 last night when I come into Columbia that my blue jeans and my shirt was hanging in the closet. So I called my wife and I said, Honey, will you go in the closet and tell me if there's a pair of blue jeans and a light blue shirt hanging in the closet? And she said, It is. I guess you don't have any clothes to wear. So what you're seeing today is thanks to Tractor Supply and Walmart. <laughs> They're the only people in America that carry clothes big enough to cover a 400-pound man. I mean, when you try to get up on Sunday morning and find tents to cover yourself, it's not an easy thing to do. My son Matthew was laughing at me. He said, Dad, what are you going to wear? I said, son, I'm just going to see what I can put together. Now, to be honest with you, this is my favorite clothing, all right? I do enjoy plaid shorts and, and Carhartt t-shirts. I wear them all the time. I got closets full of them. As a matter of fact, I probably threw away 12 bags of clothes that I don't wear anymore just because they're not Carhartt or plaid shorts or blue jeans, all right? Now, my favorite clothes to wear, and I guess I should have brought them, is overalls. I wear overalls all the time. I love them, big old overalls. But again, you know, you've got to have special places to purchase items of that nature, all right? They got to have extra stuff built around, you know, to make it work. All right, now I'm going to tell you something. I got to tell you a little bit about your pastor. I love this guy. He and I went to college together at Charleston Southern. It was Baptist College when we were there. But I want to just tell you that when I was growing up, we had a wrestling uh, association called the WNWA, National Wrestling Alliance. How many of y'all remember the National Wrestling Alliance? All right, it later on turned into WCW. But they had this group called the Four Horsemen. Y'all remember that? Woo! Nature Boy. All right, I love Nature Boy. Then, now we have the WWE. And as some of you guys know about the WWE. And they had a group there, you know, a couple guys. They called themselves the Generation X. All right, so y'all know. Well, back when I was at Baptist College of Charleston, which is now known as Charleston Southern University, we had a group of guys called the wrongdoers. Now, I'm just here to tell you today, you need to know this. This guy sitting right over here, 
He was the Ric Flair of the wrongdoers, all right? He was one of the lead guys. Now, he didn't always get into trouble because he'd find old hillbilly boys like me, and he'd say, hey, guys, why don't we, we go do some things? Of course, you know how we married other boys are. Get her done. Let's go. Woo! I'm in. And so you're all out there. You're getting into all this mischief. I mean, we ran, we ran security guards. We went into a federal game preserve and hunted alligators and snakes and all other kind of critters. I mean, we just did all kind of mischief. We were just wild. Right, back when we was in college, we had rifles and pistols and guns hid up under the dressers and in the closets of our dorm room. We wouldn't even got into college. But that's just, we just lived wild. All right. I said, Lord, you want me to be at Myrtle Beach? You got to get me somewhere that's more with a little bit of environment that I can enjoy. So we went to searching for a house. We want to rent a house down there. Down there, houses rent a three-bedroom house around thousand dollars a month. I know when I tell people that up in Bennettsville, they pass out. What? So anyway, we found this house. We moved in. Me and my young boy went out the backyard, a little pond back there, and was fishing. And I was throwing a little topwater bait, reeling it in. All of a sudden, I saw something moving. Guess what's in my pond in the backyard? Gators. Guess what they have at Myrtle Beach now? They have a lottery that you get in to draft to go hunt gators. I told my son, I said, there's a 10-footer right behind my house. I've only hooked him twice so far. Been there a week. But anyway, I can't help it he bites my rubber worm, all right? It's a good fight, though, for a few minutes. So anyway, I'm going to apply for that thing. I want to get in it because our neighbors want us to get rid of that 10-footer. He's scary. Yesterday, we literally had him out. We saw him across the pond, and I let my dog run and play in the water, and all of a sudden, he turned and decided he charged toward us. We had to bail the dog back into the fence. It was a wild time. We love it. God, God knew exactly what I needed. And he took care of me, okay? Today he knew that I wouldn't feel comfortable if I couldn't find a Carhartt shirt. So I walked in the tractor supply today just a few moments ago. And uh, they had a 4X brown Carhartt shirt hanging on the rack. And I said, I'm in now. I'm good. Matthew said, Dad, I thought you were going to hunt some blue jeans. I don't need them now. I got some matching shorts. <laughs> ah, that's how it rolls, right? It's a pleasure to be here, y'all. Y'all know. Y'all don't understand, when I first went to Myrtle Beach, I took a job at a church, and, and the guy who hired me when I went there, I went there in March, two weeks after I got on the job. They didn't have a lead pastor. We had an administrative pastor. Two weeks after I went on the job, first of all, I was like a fish out of water. I hate the beach. I'm a mountain boy, swamp boy, stuff like that. But beach, uh-uh. Fat people and sand don't get along real well. That's all you need to know. So anyway, I'm... God's called me into Egypt. I get there. Hillbilly Southern boy and transplant Northern boys don't get along too well either. They have, they have unique ways of letting you know they don't like the way you drive, they don't like the way you talk, and they don't like the way you keep your yard up. None of their business how I keep my yard up or how I drive. As long as I ain't running over them or killing their cat. All right, but anyway, so here I am. In this place, and, and two weeks after I get there, the guy who hired me, literally, I mean, this guy's in his early, he's like 51, 
He goes home one day after we set up for children's. I'm a children's pastor. I've been pastoring children all my life. Okay, that's God called me to, to lead the children. Now God's called me to lead the parents of children, teach them to get their head on straight, because they don't. The kids going to be lost forever. You, I mean, we don't have until they, they get out of high school to start guiding their life. God told me a long time ago, we don't get them when they're 6 to 10. You ain't going to get them at all. Know that parent. Know that daddy. Daddy, you better listen to this. It's your job to teach your kid. Now, look, I'm a hillbilly redneck. All right? I chew tobacco. I act like a fool most of my life. But I know when it comes to raising my children, i got to get serious about that. I love them. See, before I'm a hillbilly redneck anymore, I'm a Jesus freak. I love Jesus. Because Jesus took this old hillbilly redneck that parted and played all the time, and he saved me. I didn't deserve it. He did it, though, because he loved me. All right, now he's moved me into the perfect location to plant a church in a place that I really don't want to be. And he's gave me gators right in my backyard. I even got a fence between my yard and the pond to separate me and the gators. I can get out there away from, a, away from the safety of my home and actually be in the wild. One of these days, one of them 15-footers just will come out of nowhere, grab me by the leg, and it's going to be on. I believe I can give him a run for his money. All I got to do is live till he tries to swallow me. Then he's gone. But anyway, I'm here to tell you today, it's important what we do. God is to teach our children. It's important that we reach them, okay? You're going to find out that I'm a little ADD, just a little. I jump all over the place sometimes with ideas. In a minute, I'm going to get to my outline where I can be focused, all right? But right now, I just want you to know some things, all right? First of all, God saved me and gave me a chance for a new life, all right? Up to the time God saved me, I was Travis high school boy, played football for the devil dogs, thought I was the toughest man in the entire world, all right? Went to church all my life. First Baptist Church in Marietta, South Carolina. Great church. Great church. Got baptized when I was seven years old. When I graduated high school, I went to this camp with my youth group. And listen, parents, I know you want your sons and daughters to work during the summer, but you need to find them a good, strong, Bible-believing camp to send them to at least one week, and you pay their bills while they're gone. Okay? Because that camp could make a difference in their life for eternity. You might think your kids is okay, but you don't know that. They know. When I went to that camp, I saw and heard things. The Holy Spirit decided to intervene in my life. My dad loved me. My dad was chaperoning the camp. He'd always take our YouTube places. My dad loved me, but I couldn't see what I saw that camp through my dad. I knew he had made a change in his life. He went from being a bootlegger up in the hills of Marietta to prison to being one of the best dads you could ever have. But not because he was a good man, because Jesus saved him. Without Jesus, he'd have just been another one of those dads who worked all the time, raced on the weekends, and here we went. So anyway, God saved my dad. I went to that camp, and I saw Jesus in a very unique way. And I received him in my heart, for real. And I was kind of embarrassed by it because I'd always grew up in church. How can I be growing up in church and, and being so lost? I could never, this is no joke. When I was in RAs, uh, my RA teacher gave me a Bible. I still got it. She gave me a Bible. 
Now, after about a month, all my friends in our, in our RA class, their Bibles looked worn and used. Mine looked like it came out the box. I was embarrassed by that. We was doing Bible drills. I couldn't even get the pages to unstick because I couldn't find what they was looking for. I couldn't even spell what they was looking for. So anyway, I took my Bible home one day and took it out when I was in my bedroom, and I went through and started wrinkling every page. I did. I wrinkled it. Mixed it back, man. It looked like I was the best Bible scholar. Still got it, man. It looks just as worn. But to but throughout that entire existence of boyhood, I never read that Bible. Never did. You see, I learned to pose as a Christian. I learned to put up a front. And I learned that. Just like Peter learned, you know, to back down sometime when the crowd was kind of pushing in one direction. Well, Peter learned that young. Every time the crowd would sway one way, he'd say, well, uh, let's go that way. They pushed this way. He'd go that way. I was just like that with stuff in my life. But when I was 18, I went off by myself and hid down by the lake and I started praying God. I don't know what I did when I was a kid, but I know right now that I'm lost. And look, nobody was telling me I was lost. The Holy Spirit was communicating with me. I knew down in my heart that something wasn't right. I wasn't sure. And my youth pastor did say, look, if you're 99% sure you're saved, you're 100% lost. You need to do business with your heart. So I went and did business with my heart, and I got right with God. I got home. That's how the devil works. First thing my mama said, I was my cousin, my uh, Dee Dee went and did it too. And right after she did it, she came home and she went right before the church and baptized. And I remember coming down home. My mom was on the phone. My mom was church secretary. She was on the phone and she knew what was going down. And she said, "I don't know why she's being rebaptized. She ought to been baptized once. I don't know why." Now she didn't mean it was hateful. She was just, she was just saying what was on her mind. But do you understand our mind is flesh? That's that was what she needed to understand at that moment. Because what happened to me is I heard that and I said, I ain't going down to be baptized. I'll be, I'll be a fool. So I put it off. Another year, God was calling me into ministry. I was surrendering to ministry. I was going from being a devil to being a saint to now being called to preach, called to be in the ministry. So I surrendered to ministry. Went to North Greenville for two and a half years. Went to Carson Newman for a half semester. And then I transferred to what was probably one of the best moves I ever made, Baptist College of Charleston. And I graduated college. Man, that's unbelievable. I didn't even, when I went to high school, my 11th grade year, I had missed so many days because I was a bus driver hanging out in the bus office that I didn't even pass 11th grade. I had to go to summer school. When I went to North Greenville, I had never written an essay in my life. My senior year in college was remedial history, remedial science, remedial English, remedial reading, remedial whatever else they had that I had to take to get out of high school. Out of 300, I think it was, no, 275 students graduating, Travis Rest in 1982, I was ranked 235. There was people who have mental handicaps, ranked way higher than I was. And it wasn't because I wasn't smart. It was because I didn't want to learn. I just wanted to do it my way. I'm somewhat a rebel, I guess you would say. I don't know if you can figure that out. But anyway... I graduated college. I went to a camp to work. I worked at a camp five years as director of Camp Pine Hill. Right here on the hat, see that? My wife cooks for them every summer. If you're looking for a place to send your kids to camp, Camp Marietta, Camp Pine Hill. 
And you might send them a somersault. That's your business. Cliff probably been there a few times. I have too. If you want to be mingled into 500 kids, if you want to go over to about 100 kids and they're going to hear about Jesus and see Jesus all week long, one of these camps like Marietta or Pine Hill would be a good place to send them. Now my promotion time is over. Let me move on. So anyway, I went to work camp Pine Hill. And then after Pine Hill, I went into a, I was living in a, I was living, my wife is one of 11 children. Her mom, Ronette Renfro, was mother of the year in South Carolina uh, about eight years ago, I believe it was, when Hodges was governor. Because I shook his hand, that's pretty cool. But anyway, um, one of 11 children. We got married, and the first year of our marriage, she got pregnant. My oldest son was born. And uh, I tell everybody, we got married in 88. My son was born in May of 88. My son was born June of 89. Because first time you tell them, you know, you know, he's about the same age we are married. Everybody's like, oh, y'all got married. What? We just didn't wait a long time. Anyway, so I got five kids now, right? But anyway, this trailer, this camp was 14 foot wide by 40 foot long, two bedroom, one on one, one on the other. We had no room. All these kids coming, life was tough. So we moved and, and moved into the parsonage at a church nearby, which eventually called me to be their pastor. And, and what happened at this point, it was I, I did the Peter thing. I went from hillbilly redneck to pastor, Charles Stanley. <laughs> pastor Adrian Rogers. I was going to the Bible conferences. I led Templeton Tours. I was a tour host for Templeton Tours three years on the Charles Stanley January Bible study cruise. I went to a place down in Darlington, South Carolina, where they sewed tents, and I had them to make me some nice $300 suits with a nice silk tie. Woo! I was walking in high cotton. Man, I had some wingtip shoes. I thought I was somebody. And I got up there, and I went to waxing and preaching and trying to throw down the Word of God just, just like them boys did on TV. I was trying to. I was. I didn't know. That God didn't want me to be like somebody else. He wanted me to be me. I didn't know that I could do that. Y'all been there? And so I began to change. Now you say, well, change could be good. Well, it might be. But if your change is not going to reach the loss that God intended you to reach, why are you changing? You say, there's people just like me in the world or people who would like to hang out with somebody like me, and i got to reach those people. I got to quit reaching the people that you got to reach and you got to reach and you got to reach. I got to reach people God put me here for. Now, I might water your people. I might throw a little fertilizer over there. But it's you that's going to have to harvest those guys. You better understand that. I'm going to harvest the people God sent me here for. So finally, I, I, I read this book and I should have never read it. John Eldridge came out with this crazy book called Wild at Heart. And he started talking about being a poser. And I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I'm I just threw all my suits away, put on my blue jeans and my shirt, and I went to the pulpit and I began to preach. And it didn't take long, but I was called under the carpet. You ain't no preacher. Who do you think you are? You disgracing the pulpit. They just laid it all on me. I was like, what? This is a fashion show in this church. Anyway, God called me out of there, put me back working with youth where I should have stayed to start with. And then put me over to a couple other churches. I went to First Baptist Jackson. We we went in there and caused a bunch of trouble, broke up a bunch of stuff, and made everybody mad and left. 
When you baptize a hundred new souls in a year because you decided to yank down all their memories of and plaques and, and special hall of shame pastor lineup and you just take it all down and put it away and they had tapestries in this place they call the narthex. It was about a third, about a 40 by 40 square room you entered into and here it is, these tapestries. One of them had Jesus depleted as a unicorn. I said, man, I'd shoot that with my bow and arrow. You know, I ain't got to go. So we took all our mess down. Matter of fact, I might be the only one who knows where the tapestries are. They're probably worth thousands of dollars. And if somebody ever gets the nerve to call me, I'll let them know. But we had a great ministry there. God just went to work, man. They were relaxed. Everybody took their suits and ties off. We went from singing the daggone doxology and standing up on cue and sitting down on cue with the doxology so that the choir could march in to just worshiping Jesus like y'all did right here today. And people started getting saved. I lasted about a year, then the pastor that did all that, brought all that. It's really his fault. He's a church planner in Covington, Georgia now because they fired him in two years. He didn't last long either because we want to reach people for Jesus. We don't want to play church anymore. Y'all tired of playing church? People say, well, our, your church name don't sound like a church name. Sounds like a bar. I said, no, it's the hub. Oh, they thought I said pub. I didn't know. I didn't know different. <laughs> I tell you, man, them Yankees don't understand how we country rednecks talk. I said, hub. So anyway, today I'm, I'm here to bring you a message about the hub. It's, it'll be simple. Here's, here's, here's how simple-minded I am. Acts 2, 42 through 47. That all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. That's simple enough. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Let me say it again. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Sounds like welfare. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's my kind of church. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I'm all about standing up for your principles. But it was so funny, it was I was driving and I was breaking the law. I had my cell phone out trying to figure out where I was because I get lost in my own neighborhood. I hit my Twitter. I got a Twitter. I don't know if y'all knew that. I, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I tweet. And a pastor friend of mine who's a church planner at the Rock down in Conway, he said this, it's all right to stand up for your principles, but don't stand there with clenched fists but with open hands. Enough said about that, eh? Enough said. I was going to say in Charleston, enough said about that, Bo. It's done. 
when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't get on the cross to clinch this. He was on the cross with open hands. Do you love Jesus? See, here's what happened. God led me to plant a church. Ronnie Bird is a demon. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. Wonderful pastor friend of mine. I was working for him. And he's like the church plant, Southern Baptist church plant dude at the beach. You know, he connects with people. And he's, he's, he's got a dream of planting 10 churches in 10 years. And I was his youth pastor and associate pastor. Love working with him. And then every time he'd get around us, you know, he started talking about it. I'd go to church plant conferences. I'd go everywhere there was anything to do with church planting, he'd make me go with him and hang out. I mean, I, I mean, the first week I went to work with him, I said, look, I am not interested in planting a church. I can't even plant corn and it grows. So everything we do, and all of a sudden, one January, he looked me in the eye and he said, let me ask you something, Keith. What is God telling you to do that you absolutely aren't doing? He said, we're Chick-fil-A. Again, I'm eating places. That's just where I go. And I looked at him and I said, uh, well, um, I, you know, I guess I need to think about that a moment. You know, I'm battling. Because I know what's on my heart and I know what I'm going to have to tell him. And I know once I tell him, he's going to smile. And he said, what are you waiting on? So finally I said, all right, I believe God's calling me to plant a church. Because, see, I was told by that other church that I went to work for where the guy died two weeks after I went to work there. They brought a new guy in from California, and he looks at me and says, rednecks don't belong at the beach. This is my exact word back to him. I said, brother, I don't know where you're from, but I'm from South Carolina. You better look around before you say rednecks don't belong at Myrtle Beach. <laughs> now, if you said hillbillies don't belong down here, you're probably right. I'd agree with you. But this place is full of rednecks. You may not see them out there on the beach all the time. When you do see them, you'll know it. They're proud of everything they got. And they show it too. I mean, they don't care. So you get on the beach and you better, I mean, you better not throw your bocce ball down there amongst them. They might, they might throw it out in the ocean and let you retrieve it. But anyway, they're all over. And then he said, you know, you're a NASCAR fan. No NASCAR fans down here. I said, really? I said, right up here on 501, before you get to this church, you pass a place called Myrtle Beach Speedway. And it's packed out. They have stuff all summer, all week long. You go to all kind of stuff. There's people always out there. And I said, you better look. I said, you know, brother, I, I know you don't understand all this, but being a Kyle Bush fan, I can tell you some things about racing. Because he's been in everything there is to get in trouble, Good or bad, he's been there, right? Anyway, no joke, I had a guy, I told a guy when I was a Cowboys fan, he looked at me and said, Keith, how can you, a pastor, be a Cowboys fan? What do you mean? Don't Cowboys need Jesus? I got to pray for him. He's, my, my, he's the man, though. I don't care what y'all say. But anyways, <laughs> so I was told it wasn't there. I was told I didn't belong at the beach. I don't know why I was told all this stuff, but I do, because it, made my redneck fiber heritage pop up inside of me and I went on a wanting a kill streak. You know what I'm saying? It was I was so angry. I kicked, spit, holler and fuss. And I'd drive my car down the road and I'd go to yelling at the windshield. Daddy! Daddy! 
Spit splattering. Man, I was so mad. I'm going to have to go look at Hoss Cartwright kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Man, I was so angry because of what this guy was talking to me. Who do you think he is? You know, I just had all my dander up. First week I went to Pamela Shores after I left Beach Church. First week I went to Pamela Shores. The first conference I was asked to go to, the first week, I walked in, and the, and the conference was about dealing with bitterness. You see, I had a lot of deep-rooted bitterness in me that I didn't even realize I had. Anger issues. There's stuff I didn't know was there. Every time I turned around, I could blame so-and-so for such and such, and but just blame the whole world. Blame the family, blame, the, you know, blame my situation, blame my money, blame everything. I blame God every now and then. Just get mad. Well, God made me deal with all that. He made me learn to forgive, to let go, to turn it loose. And so God had prepared me in advance to be a church planter. And I didn't even know what he was doing. And finally, I looked at my wife one day and I said, I think God's calling me to plant a church. She said, well, let's do it. And she never wanted to plant a church, trust me. So we backed out, told Pamela Shores what we was going to do. Told him, man, we're in a mess anyway, so we're going to go ahead and do what God told us to do. So I know he's going to get us in a deeper mess. So we did it. We just followed him. Now look, all y'all think that when you do what God tells you to do, that everything in life's going to be smooth. That's what some of these feel-good people tell you. Well, I ain't a feel-good person. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you the truth. When the early Christians did what God told them, they was burned in oil. Filleted alive, crucified, just beat to death, exiled, fed to the lions. That didn't work. They took the children, fed them to the lions, and made them watch. Whatever it took. You say, well, why is God like that? God's not. God loves us. Sin is like that. What God wants you to understand is he wants you to learn to hate sin and love him. Does that follow you? So we decided to plant a church. I got this big old piece of paper, car, uh, poster board. And on that poster board, I asked my team that was jumping on board with me. And I, had, I had no real concept of building a team. I just said, if you want to be part of a church plant, we're doing it. Come on. And Ronnie announced it from the pulpit. If some of you people go out of his church, he wants some people to go. And these guys come signed on. We went on board. They got on board. So we said, all right, we need to try to name this baby. So let's start thinking of some names. Man. Every name in the book, we had like two whole pages full of names. I go home, I look at my wife, I thought it was going to be easy. Look at all this junk. And my wife, being a school teacher and a wise woman that she is, she looked at that whole list and she began to say, you know, everybody's idea is sitting around Christ. It's kind of like, it's kind of like he's the center hub and everybody's, and I said, what about hub? That's simple for me. I spell that. And so she said, then my wife, now she don't just jump like I do. You know, I just, I jump in, didn't run from the gator, all right? So we get in there, she, she, she says, that's not a bad name. Let's look it up. So she looked up what a hub is, and a hub is the center point that everything focuses around, all right? And I said, well, that, isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to bring people to know Jesus. We don't worry about your church, you know, your church look. Quit worried about all the other things in life. The Bible says, let everything we do glorify God. Do whatever we do in the name of who? Jesus. Everything. Everything. 
Nothing you do should be all about you. It should be about Jesus. So we came up with the name Hub. Man, my wife sitting right there by me. We were sitting on the bed. She looked at me and she said, I got some words for you. I said, what? She said, a little cross to go with Hub. She said, we want people to hear God's word. We want people to understand God's word. And then we want people to believe God's word. I can even spell all those words. Hearing, understanding, and believing. That's what the hub's about. That's what that's that's us. Now I've tried to be fancy a little bit, do all kinds of little things, but but I'm here to tell you today, Jesus wants us to hear his word, understand what it is he wants us to do, and believe it and trust him. That's simple enough. So check this out. God's Word, God's Word unites. Look at this passage of Scripture. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and sharing in meals. All the people were together, okay? Second thing, God's presence astounds. It says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. It says, it astounded them. They were just amazed. And what God could do. You see, when I look at this, I want you to think about this a minute. What in this passage were they doing to reach the lost? What kind of outreach effort was going on? It wasn't standing in line at Chick-fil-A. It was worshiping. It was loving. It was being community. Caring for each other. Loving people. They didn't go out. They didn't say, okay, our next outreach plan is going to be this. No. They were just doing what God did and doing what God told them to do. They were living life as community as Jesus did with 12 disciples. Hanging out, camping out, hanging out around a bonfire with a bunch of men, just sharing life, looking at their experiences, going into communities, connecting with people, loving people, seeing needs, meeting needs, making sure everybody had what everybody needed, making sure that there wasn't, I mean, what good is it to do you to be rich? If you die rich and your neighbor starves to death, what good is it? You can't take a dime with you, and when you go, gone, your neighbor's going to hate you so much, he's going to break in your house and steal what you had. Why don't you just do what God said, be like Christ, and give some of it away? Got that nice boat in your garage? Go down and get your boat and go find somebody that don't go fishing, that would love to go fishing, but can't afford a boat. And load them on there and take them fishing. Well, they might bring a Budweiser. So what? Just don't drink too many, you'll wreck. Come on. You think God can't get beyond a Budweiser? Witness, love people. And this is what the church is doing. They're just loving each other. All right? But they were astounded. Time for some people to get us down. We need to see crazy lost people like my daddy. Y'all just don't know, man. My family was rough, white trash, Marriott We weren't just hillbillies, boys. We were rough. You go up there, everything Jeff Fox would have said about rednecks, plus two. I promise you, you go to my, I can go right, I can take you all to my grandmother's house and all the family cousins that live right around the neighborhood. Even your pastor's wife is probably one of my cousins. I don't know. 
Hey, how y'all doing? Young Z Chip? Z Chip? When I said that down there to one of them guys, they was like, What did you say? I said, Did you eat yet? You didn't say that. I said, G Chip. And they'll say, Youngs, come on over to the house and we'll have dinner or supper or whatever they want to call it. That's my family. That's the way I was raised up. So anyway, my daddy and his daddy were partners in business at a younger age, just right about the time I was born, 1960 to 65, I believe it was. And I was born in 63. So they were partners in business. We got photos. Clear glass jug sitting everywhere. Emerson leaning back against the tree. My daddy with a jug over his shoulder. We got family photos of the business. Bootleggers. But the problem was there was some Mounties, some mountain police officers that just didn't think it was right. <laughs> That's my second favorite show on TV is Moonshiners. Y'all seen that? There's a show out there called Moonshiners. Me and my dad sit there and my dad says, well, he's doing that wrong right there. <laughs> I can save him a lot of money if he do. He can save a lot of money if he does use this. I'm just tripping. I'm like, oh, man. It's still on. He could build steel right now just like that. But hearing all those war stories, man, I mean, my daddy was lost. All right? The family of this man might be here. My daddy's name was Butch Darnell. And my daddy and a bunch of his cousins climbed in a truck because this dude had come across their steel way up in the mountains there down by the pinnacle. And he went out there and he told the policeman. The policeman went in, busted up the barrels. A fellow named Pug Waddell. Remember Pug Waddell? He went in, busted all his barrels up, took the water pump, took, the, took up some other stuff they had, and which my dad and his brother broke in and stole it all back. But anyway, they didn't like what this guy had done. They was angry about it. So they all got him a wash tub, filled it full of the beer that you wipe off the moonshine. And they sat around that wash tub for about two hours and, and they was having a drink, talking trash about what they was going to do that day. The problem with my dad is, my dad's a serious-minded kind of guy, unlike me. And uh, my dad is kind of the kind of guy, if he says it, he's going to do it. And so when they finally got him good and drunk and about half passed out, he said, you know what, we need to go teach that guy a lesson. My daddy said, no, we need to go and blow his brain brains out. So my dad goes in the house, pulls out double-barrel shotgun, walks out, gets in the backseat of an old car, throws in two double-lock buckshot, locks her up, drives all the way up on 290 right out here, pulls in this guy's driveway and blows the horn. My dad's sitting there with a double-barrel shotgun pointed out the window. The guy was smart enough not to come to the door thinking. And so my dad said, with the hammer's caught, he threw the shotgun down the floorboard. He said, well, the old sorry so-and-so won't come out here. We'll go into him. So they all busted through the front door and beat the, tea, the, the little teetotal fire out of this guy. Four big old country boys just stomped him down. Stomped him. Couldn't hardly even move. Left him for dead, got back in the car. and Yeah! Whoa! We showed him, baby! Yeah! Driving back around 276, which was a two-lane road back in the day. And just before you get to Earn Lynch's Bar and Grill, <laughs> that's what we called it, the car lost a tire, swung around the road, and somersaulted 12 times. 
my dad actually came out of the back seat, went through the back side window, and caught his head on the windowsill and scapped himself right there, just peeled all that back. And he got out of the car, hit the ground running, took off running down the road, trying to hold his head. It's crazy stuff, you know. You know, when they went to that car and they searched it out, that shotgun was still in the back seat where my dad was, thumb cocked, ready to go. And my dad said he knew the Lord had a purpose for him. Well, anyway, the guy who they beat up on didn't appreciate it, so turned him in, had him arrested. And the judge gave him all five years. He gave my dad five years. He went on the work camp over here at Donaldson Center, and he said he was out there swing blading, cutting grass. And he had, he had talked to a trucker friend of his, and the trucker guy was going to pull out by the Donaldson Center. My dad was going to break and run, get in the truck, and he was going to disappear in New York. He was going to break out of jail. The day before they had planned to break out, my grandmother, being somewhat resourceful and rich from some good money they made, <laughs> went to a judge up in Marietta and paid him a couple thousand dollars. And he contacted the judge over here in Greer. And uh, they let my daddy out of jail on probation. Two years to the day. My daddy decided to go to church with us old boys who was going to church with my uncle. And uh, we was in the old Marietta First Baptist Church sitting in there. We loved going to church. We made all kinds of stuff with macaroni. It was awesome. <laughs> so we, we in church, this old wooden church, and my dad decided to start going because he wanted to go fishing on Sunday and hang out with us at the lake. We wanted to go to the river, but we wanted to go to church because we were having fun. So my dad would sit up in the back of the balcony and just hide up there. One Sunday, this dude named Bill Cashin was a young guy in North Greenwood College. Decided he was home on a weekend, and the old preacher Calvert said, Billy, you got your guns loaded? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, come on up here and preach. He was right off the bat. Billy went up there, and he preached the word. And my daddy, way up in that balcony, heard something he never heard before. You see, it wasn't the preacher. It wasn't all this. It was the Holy Spirit. Went to working in his heart, telling him what was right to do, and he listened. He understood, he believed, and he listened. My daddy got up in that balcony, came down them old steps, walked in front of that church, got down, got saved. As a boy, I remember looking and saying, what is he doing? Then I saw him get baptized. A couple years later, I decided I want to get baptized because my daddy did it. I just want to be like my daddy. And everything he did. So that's why I followed I mean, the preacher I went down and talked to sent me back to talk to my daddy who had just been saved, but he had come out of prison, bootlegger. He said, go back and talk to your parents, make sure you understand what you're doing. Well, who explains it to them? So anyway, I never, nobody ever told me when I was up there. They told me how I was going to hold my head, put me underwater, bring me up. Woo! I had a swimming lesson. <laughs> make a long story short, I passed the Bruton Fort Baptist Church for nine years. Interim a couple years, then pastor. In the middle of that series, being pastor of the church, had a young lady come to me and said she was baptized as a kid, but she got saved at revival. And she said, what do I do? And I said, well, you probably need to be rebaptized because you really haven't been baptized. It's called believer's baptism. I said, but I got some good news for you. She said, what's that? I said, it's time for me to have some guts too. So I went and got my chairman Diggins and went up there. I said, brother, guess what you're doing, son? We have baptism service. Good. I'll get the pool up already. I said, yeah, but bring you a pair of change of clothes. 
you got to baptize me first. So he baptized me, then I baptized the others that came in. Had to be obedient. Why? Because that's what God tells us to do. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Hearing, believing, understand. Hearing, understanding, believing. We got to start doing what God tells us. When is the last time you connected with what the Lord tells you to do? Plant a church? Okay. I still don't know what I'm doing. I thought I did. I called. I called your pastor and said, "Well, your pastor called me, and I was just I was on some back road, lost in the I don't know where I was at. I can't even remember how I got there. But I said, "Brother, you know what? I thought I knew how to plant a church. I started planting a church, and I'm the most I'm the most ignorant man out there is. I ain't got a clue." And he just started laughing, and I said, "Well, here we go. It's like the blind leading the blind, ain't it, brother?" But it's people like you who believe, who want to worship, who come, that make a difference. It's people like my daddy who would lay his life down. He threw away his old friends. He literally, he literally just separated us from his family for a while until he could get his foundation under him. Now he leads mission trips. 73 years old, went went on a mission trip about three months ago. I mean, he loves the Lord. That's passion. I want my kids to know that. All my life, we was at church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Brotherhood, WMU, and act teams, whatever my mom was going to do. Sometimes we had to go with her because we'd be breaking up stuff at the house and she left us there by herself. So we were all involved in this thing. My mom has surrendered her life to Christ. You know when she got saved, this is crazy. When I graduated high school in 1982, my mom, I believe she said, I believe there's a God now. Now, she was already serving as church secretary, but she said, that's when I got saved. And she was rebaptized. Ain't that something? And what God can do. They were filled with awe and wonder at what God can do. This community needs to see you believing in God to the point that God is doing miraculous things through your lives. Changing people. That everybody says, you can't reach them. Wait a minute. Wait till the Holy Spirit starts. That's when it gets good. But people give. What they do, they bring all the resources, and they brought them together, and they gave it out so that nobody went and want. They shared what they had. I'm just telling you about the early church. This is, this is the first church plant. All right? Then it says that the Holy Spirit fills. It says they worshiped together in the temple, and each day they met in homes with the Lord's Supper with great joy and generosity. Then last, the, the, God's power saves. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Not just on Sunday, every day. That's my dream. I want to see people added to the Lord daily. I want to see the hubs busting at the seams from people who are lost. I have made every effort in my power to be just as non-traditional as I can be, to just be me, redneck, hillbilly, white trash, country boy, who watch gator people, swamp loggers, find no offense in none of them, hang out with construction people. I work on some construction. 
Every now and then I tear stuff up. But it's all about Jesus. You understand? It's all about Him. I'm not asking you to be who I am. I'm just talking to you about freedom. It's about being who Jesus called you to be. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes right now. I want you to just take a few moments to think to yourself, what am I doing in my life that looks like the church in Acts 2.42 through 47? What am I doing? What am I not doing in my life that I need to start doing that would show my neighborhood, my workplace, my school that I love Jesus more than I love my stuff or my finances? I love Jesus today. Here's a challenge for you. You make a commitment to God today that you're going to start working. It's going to take a while. I'm not even close yet. I've been doing it since about a year and a half now. But I want you to start today in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I want you to start patterning your life as the church after that passage of Scripture. You make a commitment that your life is going to represent Acts 2, 42 through 47. You learn it, you live it, you lead it, and you love it. But you've got to make the commitment. I can't make it for you. God loves you. God loves you. And he loves your neighborhood, your workplace, and your school. He loves all the people that you come in contact with. And if you want God to reach them, this is how it works in the New Testament. We've got to look like that. Let's pray. Jesus, you are an incredible and awesome God. Nothing I say or do compares. I can't even give them a real good glimpse of who you are. All I want to do is show them how you reached me and my family. And I know that if you can reach me and my family, then you can reach them and their families. And if you can reach our families, then you can reach other families. And God, if you can change daddies and mamas and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, there is nobody you can't reach. Lord, even that person that steps up and says they're an atheist or who argues the Scripture and everything you say or do, your Holy Spirit, with the power invested by Christians who are living your way, can make a difference. And God, today, we ask you in this place to please, please, please make that kind of difference in us. I pray for freedom church, and I pray, God, that you'll bless this ministry richer and greater than it's ever been blessed before with your grace and your love. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you.